From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Telling it as it is, David Curtin on TNT. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the David Curtin Show. I'm your host, David Curtin, and this is today's News Talk TNT. Now, today, let's take a Goliath-sized sledgehammer and smash up the Overton window. I like doing that. When I started the Heritage Party, I wrote the manifesto, and the introduction to the manifesto says this. We, as the living generation, are responsible for looking after the heritage which has been passed to us from our forefathers. And we have a duty to pass it on to the generations which will come after us. Now, it's no surprise to any of you watching that our civilization is under attack from multiple different things and directions, both from without and especially from within. But it's not just our civilization as a whole that is under attack. Our children are specifically being targeted. And this is absolutely heinous. There are many, many things that are specifically targeting our children. The first of which I want to talk about is the experimental injections. Now, we all know that we've lived through four years of insanity with COVID and lockdowns and injections. But these were things that should never, ever have been injected into a single human being, let alone millions, tens of millions, actually, billions of people around the world. Since the thalidomide disaster in the 1950s and 1960s, there have been strict safety protocols put in place to make sure that no medicine which is introduced onto the market will ever happen again that is going to cause the kind of severe adverse side effects that we saw in so many people. But we've been told again and again and again the mantra that these experimental injections are safe and effective. But to be sure that they're safe, they need to have rigorous long-term safety data, which takes at least 10 years. They will rush through in three months. So anybody with even a little bit of scientific understanding and knowledge could have seen that this was wrong and it was potentially a disaster. But this wasn't just something that was given to adults, the age of the people that the government and the powers that be wanted to inject these things into decreased and decreased and decreased from 50-year-olds to all adults to teenagers to children to babies down to six months old. Now that, of course, we know is wrong. But what I would warn you to do today is beware of those people who promote it and push these things when they should have been speaking out in 2021. And now today, in 2024, they're saying, oh, the science has changed. We know now that they're wrong and we're calling for an inquiry. Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. The second thing which is attacking our children in a heinous way is the whole transgender agenda. This, to me, came out of nowhere in about 2015. I'd never heard of it before, but now it's been mainstreamed so much that there is a whole subject called relationships and sex education, which is being taught to children across the UK and in many, many other countries around the world. 
children are being given lesson materials which promote confusion about their gender and actually introduce a concept that there is something called gender that is different to biological sex. There isn't. There is only biological sex. There are two sexes, male and female. Your sex is assumed at birth. It's not defined by gender ideology. And it's not something that you can change willy-nilly like the gender activists say. But the thing is, children are being confused by this. And many of them are being put down roads where they their gender confusion is affirmed and therefore they're put onto puberty blockers, uh, sex change hormones, and even surgery, which will sterilize those children. And many of them later on have trans regret, but it's too late. They're sterile and they will never have their own children. So these children themselves are targeted. And the results of that is sometimes absolutely horrible and tragic in that if they succumb to this, they can never have children themselves and their line is cut off. Another thing that affects our children are the grooming gangs and the county lines gangs where women or girls and boys are particularly targeted by those two things respectively. But they're allowed to go on. We all know about them, but so little is done about them, particularly the grooming gang aspect. We know that early whistleblowers have called this out from 2008. Peter McCulloch wrote a whole book about this in 2015 called Easy Meat, where he researched everything to do with grooming gangs, how they were happening in the UK and also the Netherlands and other countries, and how the state and the powers that be were just ignoring them because they didn't want to be accused of being racist because of the people who were perpetrating these gangs. These are all things that are attacking our children. And I've only got halfway through my monologue. I'm going to have to finish it tomorrow. But one thing I'll finish with here. Edmund Burke, as you probably know, and the famous, famous quote from him is that all it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Now, he wrote that in the 18th century. So, of course, in those times, men were only active in uh, public life. Women were not in public life so much as men. Today in the 21st century, men and women together have to step up to make sure that evil doesn't triumph. Let's step up against all of these things and protect our children from those things which are coming against them to harm them. And let's restore our nation and make it a place where our children can thrive and prosper once again. This is today's News Talk, TNT. Bringing you a worldview. I like to hear what's going on around the world. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back, everybody. This is today's News Talk, TNT. And I have with me, as always, Gemma Cooper. Welcome, Gemma. Hello there, David. Very interesting editorial monologue there. And only halfway through, I wait with bated breath to see the second half of this round two, ding dong tomorrow. Yeah, very <laughs> impassioned and, and very much needed. You know, this is the next generation that they're coming after. They are targeting children. That's a mantra we've heard right the way through the last four years. Uh, and you've just provided some very clear evidence there of how they're doing it. It's vital that we protect the next generation. I haven't got kids of my own, but God knows if I did, I'd be keeping them well away from the education system, from the matrix. I would be 
encouraging them to go climbing trees in the woods, you know, all of that thing that kids used to do, you know, kids used to be free, didn't they? Absolutely. And that's the kind of education that kids should have. But these days, they're stuck in a classroom and they're learning all of these ridiculous things, which, I mean, that's not so bad if they're learning academic things. You know, you expect children to go to school, learn in maths and languages and music. But these days, they're learning about uh, gender ideology and climate ideology and uh, critical race theory and why this country is bad and why there are 100 genders and all this kind of thing. So I am not surprised that more and more people are looking at home educating their children because really uh, some of the education that they're getting in our schools is so poor. And a lot of we're going to be talking about this with our, our later guest, Kim Isherwood, who's coming on um, in the second half of the show. But uh, it really is quite astounding. And, and a lot of parents don't actually know how dumbed down our education system is. And uh, if you actually look at it in some places, it really is quite shocking. Mm, I, I, I know Kim, actually. I've, I've, I've interviewed her when I used to work for the World Council for Health before I came to TNT. Mm. Fantastic guest, done a huge amount of research. And I think uh, mm. anyone listening will find what she has to say extremely powerful. So, yes, yeah, stay tuned. Stay tuned for her. But I did find it very interesting. The top of the show, we're talking about, you know, the, the vaccines, the experimental jabs uh, being foisted upon us and children. And funnily enough, we must be in sync, you and I, because I'm going to bring you this story that I don't think will surprise uh, anyone, uh, anything will surprise you. It, it, it's just, you know, they bang on about drugs being safe and effective, not just the jab they tried to foist on the world, but anything that the NHS pumps out, anything that Big Pharma pumps out is apparently rigorously tested. Well, uh, there's been a report uh, commissioned and the results are out today um, of into uh, the National Institute of Health and Care Excellence in the UK. They, they go by the pseudonym of NICE, N-I-C-E. Uh, and they're the, they're the uh, body responsible of deciding what drugs or treatments get rejected or rolled out across the NHS. So they're kind of the gatekeeper between the drug companies and what they recommend the NHS uh, spends its money on. That's, that's what NICE does. Um, it's, and this report has looked at 20 years of clinical evidence gathering that that NICE does before it recommends a drug for rollout or it recommends to reject a drug on the NHS. And it has found that 60% of the decisions that NICE has taken when it's considering rolling out drugs for public consumption, rolling out treatments or withholding those treatments, 60% of the evidence it used was poor or unacceptable. So we're led to believe that, you know, all of these standards in the NHS, you know, what drugs are good, what drugs are bad, what treatments are good, what treatments are bad, are held to the highest standards. Well, this research by the London School of Economics is saying that the data being used to decide what drugs to commission or withhold is consistently poor. Uh, it looked at the analysis of uh, 384 drugs that, that NICE were looking at, 14 medical devices, 25 non-pharmaceutical treatments. And it said that almost 65% of the decisions were based on evidence that were judged poor or unacceptable, and only 1% of cases were the classed as the evidence being good, you know, rigorous. Uh, the NICE has been accused of um, inf uh, using insufficient evidence from clinical trials. Uh, competitor data did not fit, uh, comparator data, sorry, of drugs did not fit the UK population demographic. Uh, indirect or improper comparisons used to establish a variety of treatments. No real analysis of quality of life data when on drugs or and that was poor or unacceptable. Uh, and the clarity in reporting the methodology and the details of manufacturer and assessment bodies was too varied uh, for, for to the evidence to be classed as, as not safe, but uh, 
uh, robust, I think is the word. Uh, NICE uh, says it doesn't really uh, agree with those findings. It says it, it's been accused of lowering the evidence bar when it decides what drugs to recommend or withhold. Um, but it has come under fire before. In 2022, it denied terminally ill women a drug, a life-extending drug called Keytruda. And in 2020, it rejected hormone therapy for prostate cancer sufferers. And in 2006, it uh, did a cost-cutting um, uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, exercise, and it limited access to an Alzheimer's drug. There was uproar over that, and that that decision was later overturned. But the evidence it seems it's basing those decisions on is flawed. It's poor. It's not robust. So we're led to believe, oh, you know, the NHS knows what it's doing. Take these drugs, but the body responsible for deciding what drugs are, are released or withheld is not doing its job properly. It seems, David. Yeah, well, there's an awful lot of whistleblowers in the NHS who have been calling this out. And, you know, I don't think they last very long in the NHS if they do criticise it and criticise NICE or any of the organisations behind it, which are making decisions about what drugs they can use and so on, because I think people are very, very... Um, uh, protective of the what they want to do. And I, I'm concerned here that perhaps NICE is, yeah, I don't know what links they have with big pharma companies and, you know, whether they are funded by uh, them in any way or whether there are any of the individuals on the panel are funded by them. I'm not sure about that. But you do question sometimes, you know, what? why are they not following um, procedures that are well established and have been established for decades. It seems like we're regressing in terms of our scientific practice. And this study, as you mentioned, this is by the London School of Economics. Now, the London School of Economics is, you know, not not known for being, you know, uh, in favour of sort of you know um, common sense. Uh, in some cases, they're very woke as a, an institution, but they're calling out nice. They're calling out the NHS and. Uh, the drugs that they are then using. So this actually indicates to me that, you know, if if one you know, uh, institution, which is a very much an established institution, is calling out another established institution, well, maybe there is something really wrong going on here um, and they need to buck up their practices. Yeah, and it's very interesting what you said, you know, does NICE have links with the pharmaceutical industry? Is there any part of any health organisation in the world that doesn't? have links to the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, well known for, you know, Dr. GP kickbacks. If you prescribe this drug, this new drug, we're trying to test, we'll give you a villa in the south of France for two months, uh, two weeks of the summer holidays, or we'll give you uh, access to the VIP box at Manchester Manchester United. I mean, those those stories are like very well known now, or we'll give you a spa treatment. If you just, you just try this, help us with this new drug. Um, so why would NICE be any different? I'm not saying that that's a fact because we haven't looked at, you know, to prove those kind of links that, that NICE would be getting kickbacks from Big Pharma to either, you know, reject a drug for the NHS or recommend a drug for the NHS. You know, we can't prove that here today on TNT. But is it unlikely? Well, I'll leave you to judge your own conclusions on that. Are they being influenced and swayed and deciding what to withhold from the from the public or, and what to what to recommend? Um, not that I, I think anyone here, uh, you know, if you come to TNT, you're likely to avoid any products that big pharma are trying to push on you with a barge pole. But if you're one of those people who believes in the NHS and you're ill and terminally ill and you are being withheld a life-enhancing drug a few more months with your friends and family because of this organization, it does affect you. And of course, we pay for the NHS. We should have a say in how it's run.
Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I think with the NHS, there needs to be root and branch reform with everything to do with procurement, everything to do with the decisions about you know, how they decide what drugs they're going to buy, what drugs they're not going to buy, or medicines, as they call them. And uh, it should be done with the patient's as the prime focus. It's to do with patient care, not to do with what some person says, oh, you should have this and you shouldn't have that, for maybe reasons that uh, are not based on proper scientific methodology. At least we should get that right. Anyway, look, yeah. Gemma, thank you so much for um, bringing that story to a very, very important um, issue. And uh, I think that's something that, you know, with people's health is uh, very much uh, a prime concern for, for many people. So thank you for that. And great to see you again, Gemma. Thank you, David. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. This is today's News Talk TNT. TNT's Jeremy Nell. Nice comment here from Rebecca. She says the youngest people um, I work with are a bit more mature, but their interactions with the public is stifled. And she's referring to the excessive use of cell phones and social media and how it's making them so antisocial also. The business is open six days a week. One of his staff members formally requested that they shouldn't, you know, that they could they be given permission not to have to work on Wednesdays so that they could help at the dog shelter. Now, as you know, I'm a dog lover. I have hunting dogs. I've got dogs coming out of my ears, my Malinois. And this dog, this Malinois, is bright even by Malinois standards. She can do crossword puzzles. Is lying under my desk at the moment, feeling sorry for herself because she's just come on heat for the first time and she's completely bewildered. She doesn't know why she's bleeding to death. It's not about whether it's a good or a bad thing to work at animal shelters. That's a delightful thing. It's a noble thing to do. But who in their right mind goes to their boss and says, would you mind? I'd rather not work on Wednesdays if it's okay because I've got other priorities in a, in a town down the road. Jeremy now on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. The benefits of advertising on today's News Talk TNT Radio should be clear to businesses of any shape or size. It can be accessed anywhere, anytime, by anybody and is the perfect way to build brand awareness and stimulate digital activity. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. tntradio.live. Welcome back. This is the David Curtin Show with me, David Curtin, and this is today's News Talk TNT. And I'm delighted to have on the show today with me, Dr. Neil McRae. Welcome, Neil, to the show. Uh, very good to be on and your opening week, David. Yes, it is. It's a, well, a big new departure for me, but I'm really enjoying this uh, this week. But um, but you, Neil, you are well known as an author and a writer and a speaker. You've written many, many articles for many, many publications, uh, and you do that regularly. And you wrote um, Moralitis um, a few years ago, which was about cultural Marxism. But you've written a new book just recently, which is about the climate um alarmist movement and it's called green in tooth and claw the misanthropic mission of climate alarmism Can, why did you write this book and uh, what messages did you want to bring out in this book that you've just written 
Well, I, I, I sort of spent uh, two to three years uh, writing about what I saw as the um, COVID uh, scam. Uh, and I really woke up during the uh, COVID-19 outbreak. And while I can boast that I almost knew straight away uh, that, that uh, I, you know, I could see through this um, particular scam, I was very naive and I had been very naive to all the other scams that have been going on over the years. And uh, mm. so it was a very steep learning curve for me. Um, I, I was always skeptical about the, the climate crisis, um, but I think what COVID-19 did is it showed, you know, the, the sort of malevolent forces that, that are running the world and, and using things like uh, an epidemic um, or um, the ecological crisis as they try and present it uh, to achieve uh, their nefarious ends, which is really to create a new world order, a sort of global technocracy that will exert total control over population and resources. Mm. So you see links between what happened with COVID and then bringing in vaccine passports and so on, which is what they tried to do at, at that time. But then that sort of morphed into the idea of digital identity, and that's still around, and, and social credit. But the, then you see a link between that and the climate um, alarmism as well. I mean, how do you see that the climate agenda is going to try to bring in control over us in the same way that they tried to do um, with the COVID situation? Well, the, the thing about the climate crisis agenda, David, is that we tend to see it as something that's fairly recent. I mean, I, I imagine when you were at school, like me, you didn't tend to hear much about this um, uh, global warming um, scare. Um, and, and so we tend to think it's something that's just come on in the last, you know, two to three decades. But actually, the, the, the underlying agenda goes back well over 100 years. I mean, in the book, I trace this sort of trajectory from really got going at the time of Charles Darwin's um, Origin of the Species, because that did two things, David. It, it, um, uh, it, 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 it challenged the sort of factual accuracy of, of, of scripture, and it also uh, removed the special status of human beings. You know, we're all mm. sort of just animals that have evolved, you know, if you believe that, because I think the theory of evolution remains just a theory, but it, it's sort of cast as fact, isn't it? And um, indoctrinated as that into um, school children's heads. But what followed um, Charles Darwin's um, theory of evolution was something called social Darwinism and this concept of survival of the unfittest. And that somehow these new industrialized societies like Britain with sort of burgeoning, the, the beginnings of a welfare system were actually keeping um, the wrong kind of people alive. And, and we had procreation of tainted stock. And of course, yeah. this led to eugenics. Uh, eugenics was more or less founded by Francis Galton, who was a close relative of uh, Charles Darwin. And in the early 20th century, the, the, the whole intelligentsia in Britain and across the West were, were advocates of uh, eugenics. And um, perhaps that's best characterized by the Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw, who in 1908 proposed gas chambers 
for the sort of undesirable elements of society or what may now be called the useless eaters in the uh, in the language of <laughs> Yuval Noah Hariri. That's absolutely appalling. You know, when, when you look back at those people, like, deep in history, you know, 100, 200 years ago, that even then this was forming, this idea that uh, people would, were just animals and they could be dispensed with, culled, if you like. And, and this is, I guess, where why you've got the word misanthropic in there, you know, to do with the climate alarmist agenda, but it, it goes way back before then. I mean, that that is absolutely fascinating. I'm, I'm going to have to read uh, your book in in full. I've I've, re I've read the sort of synopsis of it, but it's 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 a, uh, going to be a great read. Um, how how do you see? I mean, you mentioned there Noah Yuval Harari. Obviously, he's associated with the the World Economic Forum. Um, do you see that that body is? key in trying to bring the climate agenda in and these kind of misanthropic ideas in today in the 21st century? Oh, oh yes, absolutely. Um, uh, I, you know, I believe that the First World War was basically a eugenics war. I mean, there's never really any good explanation. You know, there was a shooting of Archduke Ferdinand in Serbia, but that wasn't really a, a good reason for millions of men um, dying in the trenches on the Western Front. But after the First World War, you had these globalist organizations beginning, you know, the, the, the League of Nations, of course, but you also had the um, what, what's known as Chatham House, uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, I think it's called, and then the Council on Foreign Relations in the US. And you also had a movement called Technocracy Incorporated, which planned a society in which there would be uh, total control over population and resources now at the right. same time Neil, I'm still got sorry I'm going to stop you there. Um, techno we'll come back to talk about technocracy in a second. Mm. We're just going to take a short news break now. Uh, this is today's news talk TNT go, go. What the hell is this? TNT Radio News. Breaking news, breaking news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. The US Senate has passed a foreign aid bill unlocking $95 billion in wartime funding for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan. But the bill must now be approved by the House of Representatives. Despite being the oldest president in US history, the White House has confirmed 81-year-old Joe Biden will not take a cognitive test when he sits for his upcoming physical exam. And a powerful explosion has erupted at a key gas pipeline in central Iran. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Welcome back to The David Curtin Show. I'm your host, David Curtin, and I have with me Dr. Neil McRae, who has just written a fantastic book called Green in Tooth and Claw, which is all about uh, the misanthropy of climate alarmism. Now, just before the break, we were starting to talk about technocracy, which I think is something you brought up in your book, and you've mentioned before in other articles as well. So tell us a bit more in detail about what technocracy is and how that's affecting us today. Well, after the First World War, I mean, they say that war is the uh, mother of invention. 
and there was a dramatic um, advance in technology with the, the weaponry for the First World War. And, and going into the 1920s, um, these advances were sort of brought into civil society. And then in the, later in the 20s, you had the, um, you know, things like radio and television coming in. So big, big changes um, and big uh, advantages to people's lives. But meanwhile, you had the start of what became eventually the computer age. Now, back in the 1930s, of course, there was nothing so that, that, that you could possibly call a computer by today's standards. But there was an acute awareness that technology would keep driving forward and uh, people in power would get to the point where a coterie of experts and engineers and, uh, and sort of an elite, if you like, uh, would be able to take full control and fully manage society. So rather having the mess of democracy and debate, um, you just have scientific experts advising leaders in how things should be run. And as I suggested before, David, this was very strongly linked to eugenics, because if you have a, a, if you have total planning of resources, that goes hand in hand with total planning of population. And um, now eugenics were a very bad name with the Nazis, didn't it? Third mm -hmm. Reich. And so after the Second World War, the term eugenics was kind of hidden away, you know, um, sort of swept under the carpet a bit, but it didn't go away. It was just rebranded and it was rebranded in the 1960s as this cult of sort of ecological doom and mm. the, the founding of the Club of Rome and, and Paul Ehrlich's book, The Population Bomb, both of those in 1968. And that's why I called 1968 Anno Domini in the book, because it was the start of this pseudoscientific uh, green ideological cult. Mm. You look, you can see certainly the, the control mechanisms coming in where they want to bring in all kinds of facial recognition. They want to bring in 15 minute cities with gantries, which could be used to stop you driving your vehicle from one place to another. Even then they want to get rid of vehicles altogether or the ones that they have can be completely tracked. Um, the World Economic Forum talks about us not being allowed to eat meat anymore and to have a, a certain number of calories, only 1,800 calories per day per person. And then also... Um, us not having space, more space than we need so that everyone will be put in pods in smart cities and live there. But then the eugenic side of it, I guess that that is a little bit more hidden still, because um, as yeah. well as wanting to control everybody, they also you're saying they have an agenda to cull the population and decrease the population. I mean, have you heard people um, say that in these modern times about you know people actually promoting the idea of drastic population redu reduction? It's hardly hidden now, uh, David. So you you hear. Um, some quite blatant um, remarks from likes of David Attenborough. There, there's some uh, lines by Bill Gates, which the mainstream media always try to sort of reinterpret. Oh, no, he didn't really mean that when he said the final solution or that mm. we, we can uh, re reduce the world population by 15%. They always try and find some other meaning that, uh, for that. Mm. But, but even our own monarch, um, King Charles, has, has, has said things which are really 
you know, they, they, they are eugenics um, light statements. And, and King Charles's father, of course, Prince Philip, <laughs> he said he'd like to uh, be reincarnated as a virus to wipe out most of the population. <laughs> what a thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Prince Charles. Yeah, you asked about the, the World Economic Forum earlier, David, and I didn't quite answer your question, but the World Economic Forum is unlike all the other globalist organizations which were sort of created uh, in the post-war era, like the Bilderberg Group, the Trilateral Commission, and even the Club of Rome, which has been so instrumental in making the United Nations uh, focus entirely its agenda on this um, ecological um, uh, uh, um, project. But the, the, the World Economic Forum was started by Klaus Schwab back in 1971. He was an acquaintance of King Charles. Uh, he, he was nurtured by Henry Kissinger. And um, the World Economic Forum, unlike the other globalist organizations, has always been very, very public. So mm. it, it has its big shindigs in, in, in Davos, which are, um, you know, highly publicized and, and marketed. All, all the great and good are there. I don't know if you've ever been invited to Davos, David. I've never been invited. I think I'm persona non grata at Davos. So I think my invitation's in the bin. <laughs> no chance of getting there. Right. We, we actually, so, with the Heritage Party, we, we sort of, we, we actually have a, a clause that says if you are... Um, an associate of the World Economic Forum, you can't join. So, you know, I'm, I'm totally separate from them. Um, but, but you know, that it, it's to me, it's, it's essentially a type of communism or Marxism. I mean, they want to abolish property. They want to abolish nation states, essentially, um, you know, with all the mass immigration that's going on. They want to um, abolish the family or redefine the family. And these were the things that um, Marx attacked in the Communist Manifesto. So, I mean, it, it's hard to sort of, you know, see, de completely define it, because is it, you know, the World Economic Forum, is it communist? Is it fascist? Is it technocracy or is it elements of all three of these things i mean that's um you know that that's an interesting discussion it's 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 sort of a you know it's not one thing or the other but it looks like the bad things of all of those three things if you like well i i, I would say that it's technocracy i think that's an umbrella term um for it it's an elite run technocracy uh, people often get into debates about whether the things that are going on with, you know, net zero and um, all the other scams, whether this is um, the uh, march of uh, communism or, 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 or the jackboots of um, fascism. And like you say, David, it, there are elements of both of those kind of political ideologies. But a very important point is that hmm. Technocracy Incorporated back in the 1920s and 30s in the US a key part of their uh, manifesto, if you like, was that they would abandon politics. They would abandon democracy. They would abandon mm. ideology. Um, so m much of the ideology of like, you know, Marxism and uh, fascism, it, it, it's about the people, isn't it? You know, it's like yeah. interpretations of das folk or a uh, new man under communism. Mm. Um, the, the global technocrats are not interested in the ordinary people. 
they want to save the planet for themselves. They want mm. to run the show and the, the ordinary people will only be allowed a, a subsistence uh, living. And, you know, sadly, I think unless we can resist uh, this tyranny, uh, people will not be given the choice of whether they're allowed to live or die. I mean, Yuval Noah Hariri has said, you know, for a temporary phase, we'll, we'll give them video games. That is mm. useless eaters, but, you know, that's not a long-term plan. The, the Georgia Guidestones, which were demolished um, <laughs> uh, two years ago, Georgia Guidestones, one of the Ten Commandments, this is like a, a secular Ten Commandments, yeah. was to reduce the global population to 500,000. That's getting rid wow, of over 80% um, of the population. Yeah. Now, that certainly is misanthropic, um, and uh, we need to resist that at all costs. And I think people are waking up to this more and more. And your book is going to be a big part of waking people up to this. And it's really, really, um, uh, will, will, really informative to, to everyone who wants to um, look at technocracy and how uh, the climate alarmism agenda feeds into just general misanthropy. Look, Neil, um, this is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. But just quickly, where can people find your book? Uh, so it's on uh, Amazon at $12.99 and can also be ordered from the publisher, which is the Bruges Group Think Tank in London. Uh, and right. thank you so much for having me on, David, and all the best with your show. Thank you, Neil. Fantastic. This is today's News Talk TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The cyclone that's in the north of Australia is kind of unusual for an El Nino season. That's because we have not really had an El Nino season this year in Australia. The Southern Oscillation Index, the longest running measure of the ENSO, or El Nino, La Nina, has not cooperated at all. And we knew this was a problem way back in the Northern Hemisphere fall in our spring because we weren't seeing a lot of typhoons. Usually, when you have a big El Nino, you have a lot of typhoons going off, and we had the third lowest typhoon production on record, so something funky was going on. However, that Southern Oscillation Index is going to crash for the month of February, which means that our fall should be average in Australia. Now, I'm bringing all this up because that crash in February is linked to severe cold in the United States and Europe for February into March. And we're seeing another ferocious storm attacking Norway now. A lot of heavy rain is coming into Europe over the next week. Now, the two times that happened, it turned frigid in Europe. Same thing is going to happen. Mid-February to mid-March will be frigid in Europe. You see all these storms crashing into the United States? Well, guess what? It's going to turn frigid in the United States. In fact, for much of the United States, the worst of the winter is on the way. And just think, it all hinges on looking at the weather around Australia. Isn't that nice? Hands across the water. Australia, the States, and Europe. Kumbaya. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Even the thought of dementia can feel scary. It's why we put off getting help, even though we've noticed changes in our thinking or memory. But an early diagnosis can change everything, giving you medical help and a support system around you to help you live better. Start with Dementia Australia's online checklist. Because the sooner you know, the more you can do. 
This is the David Curtin Show and today's news talk, TNT. Hello, welcome back to the David Curtin Show. I'm David Curtin, your host um, at the moment and today. Look, so next week we have um, a special week because TNT will be covering the Julian Assange hearings. Um, Last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February the 20th and the 21st at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice, broadcasting and uncovering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London. Also, uh, the London premiere of the Trust for the Trust for Julian Assange will be at Rio Cinemas on Sunday, the 18th of February at 1 p.m. The film will be followed by a panel discussion with questions and answers uh, with Tariq Ali, um, Christine uh, Hraffinson, and hopefully Stella Assange. To find out more, go to Google and search for the Trust for Julian Assange, London premiere, lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk TNT. Now, I have with me um, in this section of the show, uh, and I'm delighted to welcome uh, Kimberly Isherwood of Public Child Protection Wales. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you for having me, David. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. It's great to have you on. And I, I've known you for a few years. And the first time I met you, um, I think, was uh, in Cardiff. Or I should yes. maybe met you before then. But I came to join you uh, in Cardiff when you were protesting outside the Senate there um, because of what the Welsh government was doing in schools in Wales. And you've been fighting the um, move to bring in RSE. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what the Welsh Government are doing, uh, what RSE is, and you also talk about CSE um, as well. Can you tell us about those things and what's happening in schools in Wales at the moment? Yeah, so it's it's not just Wales, David, it's all across the UK. So all across the UK, all governments have adopted a sex education called CSE, as you said, Comprehensive Sexuality Education. They, it's a different name, it's rebranded in different countries, RSE here in Wales, SRE I believe in England and RSHE in um, Scotland. So this is a global sex education, it is not localised for the Welsh children, English children or Scottish children, it's global. It comes from the United Nations and the World Health Organisation. We uncovered this in January 2020 when the Welsh Government mandated this sex education from age three to 16 with no parental opt-out and something called the whole school approach. So it's no longer a standalone subject. What we're dealing with is these unethical ideologies in every single subject across our curriculum, included, and I quote, corridor talk. So obviously we, we, cons- we, we joined the consultation process. 87% of us in this country rejected it, but the government went ahead anyway. We put in a petition, we submitted 17 pieces of evidence the Welsh government, pretty much what they said on TV and what they did behind the scenes were two different things. They said they were going to put a watch and brief, but they published an article that evening saying there was misinformation, even though there were 17 pieces of evidence. So I took all 17 pieces of those evidence into the court. We, we um, secured the judicial review. 
We lost that judicial review on one thing, and that's parental rights. So everybody in the UK needs to be aware that the Welsh government lawyers use case law from across Europe to argue parents' rights do not exist. We only have parental responsibility. So this sex education is a rights-based approach based on children's rights, bodily rights, and sexual and reproductive rights. So here in the UK, parents' rights are not a thing, but our children are born with sexual and reproductive rights. So it's very important people get hold of our court case and they understand what's happening here. So as, as I said, we lost the court case based on the, sex, on the parental rights. However, we did prove beyond reasonable doubt that this was a global sex education. We are not promoting misinformation. And it's in actual fact the Welsh government who are promoting misinformation. So here we are now, we are using that case law. That case law has placed responsibility onto head teachers. We have actioned quite a few cases here in Wales behind the scenes, David, including tribunals. So we are coming and we will be holding people accountable this year. Whether it's their fault or not, they had opportunity to stand up and protect our children. Now we were, we are coming after individuals this year. That is very frightening that the court has ruled that the parents actually don't have any rights anymore. Because I think what people would generally assume is that they do have rights. I mean, I say this all the time, uh, acting in politics, that parents are the primary um, educators of their children and we assume that parents have well responsibility over their children but also rights to say um how they can be educated i mean isn't that actually part of the european convention on human rights that parents have the right to educate their children according to their own beliefs um and and how does that court judgment i mean doesn't that contradict the european convention on human rights well, we had an international human rights barrister representing us, um, Paul Diamond. So we did go in on the human rights. We went in on human rights, um, the Education Act, and the common law parental right. But they, like I said, they use case law, they use their high profile barristers, they use case law from all across mm. Europe to argue and prove that parental rights do not exist. And Justice Stain supported that argument. Well, I mean, that 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 to me is doubly shocking, number one, for the, the ruling itself, but also for the fact that they've used case law from Europe, uh, from other yeah. countries. I guess this comes from the European Court of Justice or so is that is that where the case law comes from? Well, uh, all different, all different cases, yes, but some of that was used as well. So, um, QC right. Jonathan Moffat is is very good on family law. A lot of family yeah. law was used. So, this is something the whole of the UK need to be aware of because this mm. education was adopted in March 2017 with the view for legislative changes. Well, we're all at different stages of this education, and this is the legislative change. They use case law from around Europe to argue that there's no parental rights. They will be using case law from England and Wales, because don't forget we share a justice system, mind. Yeah. This is now case law to prove everybody in the UK has no parental rights. And that is the reason why the media buried the case, David, because this was the most high profile case in the UK and they did not touch it. And that's the reason why. I mean, this is a profound change and uh, it's a very nefarious change, I think, that's been brought in. But 
Um, you know, obviously, I'm I'm in the Heritage Party. Our policy would be if we could ever get into power uh, in the Senate or in Holyrood or in Westminster to um, abolish these subjects and actually to bring in a new law that would protect children from actually being influenced and being exposed to this kind of sexualizing material. And um, going back to the actual subjects, this comprehensive sexuality education, which has different brandings, as you say, in different countries uh, around the world, what kind of things are actually going into schools that that um, parents don't know about, but when they do hear about them, you know, you hear stories of some parents actually finally seeing some of the materials going into schools and they're absolutely shocked. What kinds of things have you seen um, that are actually in schools? Right, so I'll go on the three theories. It's based off three theories. The first one is sexual from birth. So they believe we are sexual from birth. And you would see in 242 schools in England, there was a piece on self-stimulation, masturbation, which is referenced in the World Health Organization documents. So that's from age four, self-stimulation from the All About Me package. So very, very sexual, sex positive, do what you want as long as it feels good, listen to your body. Then we have the gender ideology. And basically, um, I think we've come down now from 100 genders to 79 genders. And there's 79 genders now, apparently. And if Arthur wants to play with a doll and become Martha, there's absolutely nothing anyone in this country can do about it because apparently that's not a safeguarding issue. The parents don't have a right to know. And then we've got the queer theory. And everybody believes that being queer now is hip, hot and cool. However, queer theory sets out to do one thing, smash heteronormativity and, and blur the binaries between sexuality and adult and children. They don't believe in childhood. They believe in a sense is a myth. And they believe children are equal to adults in every way, including sexuality and sexual activity. So those are the three, three theories people need to look into. Sexual from birth, gender ideology and the queer theory so being queer is not a cool term used please read up queer theory and please read into the queer theorists they do not believe in childhood innocence they don't believe childhood is a thing so that's basically what we're dealing with here david this is absolutely abhorrent Uh, it's beyond you know my imagination that how anyone would want to actually bring these things into schools and actually bring these things before children and sexualize them. And, you know, I, I use this word sexualizing and I'm accused often of, of that this being too strong a word and uh, this oh, isn't no, happening, but, but it is. Mm. It is happening. Yeah. Absolutely. It's happening. And it's, it's dangerous, David. It's dangerous mm. when you've got people, academics writing reports, claiming the childhood isn't a thing. Innocence isn't a thing. You have to wonder where these people came from if they did not experience that. Or if they are looking at children and not seeing that, you've got to really wonder where these people come from. I have a criminological background, I specialize in child sex abuse. I do a lot of work on um, paedophiles trying to understand the mind of a perpetrator. And I'm very sorry, but I can't see these academics in an innocent light. If they have never experienced, if they believe childhood doesn't exist and they don't believe in innocence, where do they actually come from? What life did they actually lead, you know? Who knows? I mean, but, but I mean, this this almost blows my mind, you know, think, thinking that people could think like this because it's so far away from where I am and what would ever yeah. 
cross my mind if I didn't come up with it, if didn't, someone else didn't come up with it. But this is what is being uh, mainstreamed in academic institutions. And then it's filtering down to the school. So it isn't something that is far away from no. you or me or parents or people watching the show. This is maybe going on. Uh, in their towns, in your town yes. or in the neighbouring town, because you've got teachers who have been to university, they've been exposed to people who have these ideologies, and then they accept them themselves, and they go into schools thinking, well, there's no such thing as children. Children are sexual from birth, and they treat them as such. And they actually think that they're doing a good thing by sexualizing them. They're so twisted and so warped. Um you know, how can we get the message out to parents that this is happening and how can we fight against this? Well, unfortunately, David, our campaign was a preventative campaign. Now it's damage limitation um, for a lot of people. They are only going to wake up after there's damage done. And the worst part of this is the children are in the crossfire, you know. Oh. Um, so a lot of people are not going to wake up to it until something actually happens. But to the people that's kind of understanding there's something going on, they're not confident to do anything about it, they don't know where to look for stuff, well, that's where we come in, David. We are in the process of setting up advocacy training, which is going to run every week from the Easter holidays right the way through the summer term. We're empowering individuals how to stand up for themselves, how to exercise their remaining rights, how to exercise their parental responsibility, and how to actually argue this stuff, get the evidence, build cases, because don't forget, children get legal aid as well, and gender-critical beliefs are also protected by law. But a lot of professionals out there don't understand this. So it's just a case of empowering the person at the bottom, you know? Everybody on the ground needs to be empowered. When they can stand up for themselves, they will stand up for somebody else. As an organization, we are going through the process. We've decided we want to become the arrivals, the official rivals to local authority and government. And we are in the process of registering uh, in different governing bodies with companies house. We are becoming official, David. We are serious mm -hmm. and we are going nowhere. You know, we start at the bottom and we're going straight for the people at the top. Absolutely. You're doing a wonderful job, Kim, you and everyone in PCP Wales. Um, you know, I know you've been fighting this when it was hard to fight and you stuck your head out and you said, we got, we, we're we not having this. This is wrong. This yeah. is wicked. We're not having this. We're going to stand against it. And, you know, many other people uh, are doing this along with you as well. Um, we don't have very long left. We've got about a minute and a half. Just, just, just before we go, tell people where we can find out more about what you're doing and where people can sign up to your courses. So um, just join our website, guys, www.publicchildprotectionwheels.org. Subscribe to the website. We will not bombard you with emails, but please regularly check your spam. We will be sending out marketing campaigns informing you all about this um, advocacy training. It will be tailored for England and Scotland as well. So we've got Dr. Anna Loutfree is going to oversee the England one to make sure we've got it right. And obviously we need to reach out to somebody in Scotland. So subscribe to our website, www.publicchildprotectionwills.org. Follow us, guys, get involved. Anything you need, we are, we will provide it. We have just formed a coalition of 17 parent groups. So please get involved. If you see these groups on Facebook, it doesn't matter what these groups are called, they are more, more than likely part 
of the coalition anyway. So let's all get involved. Fantastic. Let's get informed. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kim. It's been really great to have you on the show. You are fighting the good fight. Please join us again tomorrow on today's News Talk TNT. Music